So we're in Galatians 2. We're in a series right now, a four-week or 15-week series, but we're in week four, and we're finishing up chapter 2 today, verses 11 through 21. Last December, we got a new puppy for our house because we were just looking for something to do. Like we were bored, and we thought, how about we buy a puppy, and we bring another dog into our home? But in all actuality, she's great. Her name is Ruby. I think I've talked about her before. If you're here long enough, I give a lot of illustrations having to do with home improvement, food, and pets. So I apologize if you've been here a long time. You see me hitting those marks all the time. Here comes another one. But Ruby, uh, we got her in uh, December of last year, and uh, she's brought a lot of joy to our home, and yet her, our, her joy, or our joy in her has increased as Heather's aunt has done some training with her and for her over the last month. And so we've sent her to Aunt Dawn's house for some boot camp training. She's currently there right now, so if you see that we're just a little bit more freer this week, that's why. Uh, but she's, um, she's learning several things while she's there, and we're trying to reinforce it when she comes home. One of those things is the ability to heal, the ability to walk right alongside your left leg and stay in step with you, not get out wide, not lag behind, not get out in front of you, but the ability to heal. And so we're, we're practicing that. And as she's practicing that, uh, one thing the dog learns is, is you see her head kind of turning, looking at your left leg because she's, she's checking your left leg. If it's turning left, then she's going to turn left. If you're, doing, if you're turning right, then she's going to see that and turn right with you. All right? But she's 11 months old. She is not perfect at this by any stretch. If you see me randomly walking in figure eights in my yard sometime in Eureka, this is why, because we're trying to train her to do some healing. So she gets behind us, and we tug the collar and say, nope, heel, right up next to me. She gets out wide, like, nope, nope, not there. Scoot up next to me, right in line, not get out ahead, which she's prone to do. Nope, nope, come back here, heel, be right next to me. Watch me. Watch my left leg. Listen to my voice. Right? Don't get out ahead. Don't get out wide. Don't lag behind. In all of this, what we're training her to do is realize that she's not the leader of her life, that we are. And that brings joy not only to her, but joy to our household. Here's what we know about our own lives. Either we've seen it in our own lives or we've seen it in the lives of others is we know it is possible that we get out, get out of step with the Lord. That when he says, listen, fix your eyes on me, watch me, delight in my word. Don't just hear it, don't just read it, but be doers of the word. Obey it. Pray and seek me with all your heart. Be devoted to me in all your ways. We know that at times we've lagged behind or we've gotten out wide away from him or we've tried to get out ahead of him in all those times we've fixed our eyes on some lesser thing rather than jesus the author and perfecter of our faith in all those times what we say that we would know is not actually shaping how we're living in verse 14 of this section in the csb translation paul writes it that they're deviating from the truth of the gospel the ESV translation, if you have that before you, it talks about being out of step with the gospel. To deviate means we depart from an established course. We stray, we wander, where once we were in step with the truth, we've gotten out of step with it. We've wandered away, 
being distracted by sin and self or earthly things or false teaching, or we sprinted up ahead for self-glory, or in some area of, lo- of life, we're just tired of waiting on the Lord. So we're like, you know what? I'm going to take my life into my own hands, and I'm going to get up ahead of you, and Lord, would you bless my plans when you finally catch up to me? Or we drag our feet in stubbornness and pride like that toddler, like, I don't want to, and we're just being drug along. The longer you're a Christ follower, the more likely you are to see people deviate from the truth of the good news and get out of step with it. One of the most painful things as a pastor who has been at one place over an extended period of time is to see people who are once in step with the Lord, in step with the truth of His gospel, get out of step and to begin to assume the leadership of their own life and in a sense say, Lord, get over there. I want to be in control of my own life. To see people do that is is painful. To assume the leadership of their life rather than come under the loving and good, altogether wise and powerful leadership of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And while it's been painful to see people deviate from the truth, what has been beautiful to witness, beauty that exceeds the pain, is to see people return to the Lord. To see people repent, begin to walk with the Lord. Watch the Lord again. Keep their eyes on the Lord and not on this lesser thing. To trust Him fully. To see people do that never gets old. And every time, every time, when our lives were once out of step and the Lord has pursued us and now a person's life is in step with the Lord, every time that happens, it shouts to us, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. If we're honest, and again, we can be because we're saved by grace and not by works. When we're honest, we see that temptation in each of us to, to deviate, to stray, to wander. Some of you are here and you're like, that's, that's me. That's my current reality. I've gotten out ahead or gotten out wide or I've drugged my feet. And this is your current reality and the Lord has exposed that and you're not here by accident. And others of you, you're kind of blind to it. There's no other way to say it, but you're blind. There's spiritual blindness going on in your life. And the people around you see this, but you're blind to it. And I pray the Spirit of God illuminates your eyes and opens your ears today. Maybe for us, we see this deviating from the truth in our past. I do. I've had seasons where I've wandered, I've strayed, where I've fixed my eyes on something lesser than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when we look back on our life, or we see our current reality, and we see the Lord has pursued us, it should overwhelm us with the goodness of God, the grace that we have been shown. Praise God that He has pursued us, that with His Word, with His people, with His Spirit, to draw us back, to be in step. Praise God that He loves us to prune things out of our lives that are distracting us from His goodness and the joy and the freedom that we have in Christ. Praise God that He, in a sense, like that little child, grabs our chins, our our cheeks, and lovingly says, no, no, focus on me. Fix your eyes on me. Because there, that's that's where we find freedom and joy. 
Romans 5.8 says, but God proves his own love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He first loved us in such an extravagant way, reaching down to pull us out of the muck and mire. And when he has saved a human heart and soul, we then respond in love and worship. We spend the rest of our lives living for the sake of the one who did that work, who pulled us up and out. Today in this passage in Galatians 2, we see how someone, Peter in this case, has gotten out of step or deviated from the truth of the gospel. And we're going to see Paul confront him on this because here's what Peter was missing and what we miss as well. When we deviate from the truth, when we begin to stray and wander, it doesn't just affect us. It affects those who follow us. What we notoriously underestimate in this life is how others are following us. I don't care how old you are, if you're middle school, high school, you're an adult, I don't care about your marital status, the number of kids you have, if you're grandparents, new parents, no parents, where you work, what you do for a living, where you live. If you're living and breathing today, someone, or better said, someones, are following you. Someones are seeing your lead. They're watching your way of life. They're watching your words. And when we stray and deviate and depart from the truth, it will lead others to do the exact same thing. Whether it be the generation that follows us or people around us or the people older than us, the biblical picture is sheep and shepherd. And when a sheep begins to stray, just like on the farm, other sheep follow. And again, keep in mind the overall story in this letter. In Christ, there's freedom. Apart from Christ, there's slavery. The truth of the gospel leads to freedom and joy. And so when our lives and words get out of step with that, it leads to slavery. And because people are following us, it leads others to slavery as well. In this passage in Galatians 2, we're going to see one shepherd call out another shepherd because it's not only affecting Peter's life, but those who are following him. So for the sake of people, for the sake of the truth of the good news of Jesus, Paul is going to call this out in Peter's life to bring Peter back to living in light of the truth, the, the truth that Peter knows, and yet that knowledge is not affecting his life right now. My hope and prayer that where the Lord has called us to repentance this morning, if we find ourselves out ahead, out wide, behind, that we would repent from that. Or if we find ourselves in line, in step with the Lord, I should say, that we would be encouraged to be in step because that's what leads to freedom. That's what leads to joy as we watch our eyes or keep our eyes on Him. As we finish up chapter 2 today, we have seen over the past few weeks how Paul has been trying to be really clear on the truth of the gospel. The false teachers who are seeking to lead people toward enslavement are trying to undermine Paul's authority and the message and trying to sow seeds of division between Peter and Paul and between churches. But Paul is going to keep hammering the nail of the good news of Jesus is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. You and I are not made right with God through trying to earn our way into that right standing. Jesus has made a way possible for salvation through his work on the cross and the resurrection. So last week we looked at verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2. And there Paul wrote about a private meeting that he and Barnabas and Titus had 
withdrew some leaders of the, uh, leaders of the Jerusalem church like Peter and James and John. And that, that meeting was basically confirming among these two apostles and these groups of leaders that this good news of Jesus is not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. And that in order for Gentiles to be saved, they don't have to first become a Jew. The good news is for all. So now in this section, Paul is going to recount an event that took place after that private meeting at the church at Antioch. Last week, we briefly talked about the Antioch church. But the Antioch church was diverse. Leaders from multiple continents. Most historians believe that the church was 50% Gentile and 50% Jew. And so you have this really diverse body of Christ. That's where the term Christian is first given to Christ followers because they see this group of people who are no longer identified by their background, their family tree, by Jew or Gentile, but they're identified by their shared faith in Christ. And so Christians just mean little Christ. So they see these people gathering, but it's not their Jewish background or their Gentile back background bringing them, bringing them together. It's Christ. And so remember, verses 1 through 10 Paul and Peter, they share the right hand of fellowship. There's unity around the message. There's unity around the mission. Then starting in verse 11. But when Cephas, which is Peter's name in Aramaic, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter's withdrawing and separating from eating with Gentile believers. So what is happening here? Well, earlier in the timeline in the New Testament in Acts 10, Peter gets a vision from the Lord and the gist of that vision to Peter is the gospel message is for all. It's got to go to the Gentiles, not, to, not just to the Jews. And the Lord is telling Peter in this vision... I'm not a God who shows partiality or favoritism. And so Peter, don't stay away from the Gentiles, but go to them. The gospel message is for all. It's to go to the four corners of the earth, all tribes, all tongues. And Peter was starting to see that happening in Acts 10. He's heard about it at the church here in Antioch. He's heard about it from Paul in that private meeting that we looked at last week, that the, that the grace of God is at work in the Gentiles. And now in Christ... Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are eating together, fellowshipping over meals, gathering in homes because it's faith in Christ that ties them together, not the earthly family tree. The table for meals was the central component to fellowship in that day. In our day and age, we've often lost sight of that, about how the table should be central to relationships. It was central to life in the early church and I pray it would be for us as well. That's one reason why we do church-wide meals. But in that day, similar to ours, when, the, when you gathered around a table, there was no distinction. You were equal around that table. It wasn't, well, you're a Gentile or you're a Jew, or it was shared faith in Christ, breaking bread, enjoying the fellowship of unity in Christ. And since Acts 10, Peter's been living that out, gathering with Jew and Gentile around tables, including here at the Antioch church. But then something changed. It says, when certain men came from James, is how Paul puts it in verse 12.
12. When they show up at Antioch, we read that Peter feared these people. And as a result, he withdrew, he separated, because for these men that showed up, they were concerned about the degree that Jewish believers were associating with Gentile believers. They didn't think that Jewish Christians would be free to set aside Old Testament law and gather around tables for meals with people who they saw as unclean. But Peter should have known these actions of withdrawing and separating were not in step with the gospel because of his experience in Acts 10, because of that private meeting with Paul and the other leaders. Right hand of fellowship was given, and yet here, Peter's breaking from that, living in a different way. He's gotten out of step with the truth. Peter placed his fear of man greater than his fear of the Lord. And any time that's the equation, any time fear of man is greater than the fear of the Lord or the desire to please this crowd rather than please the Lord, any time that's the, that's the equation, it's going to lead to or equal being out of step with the truth. Peter knows what is right, but is living and acting a different way. And verse 13 has to be one of the most sobering verses to consider. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy and two-faced living is not only destructive to yourself, but it leads others astray. In the original language, it means to put a mask on, be an actor, a showman. Are you an actor this morning? Are you an actor this morning? Did you get up and put on a mask before you walked in these doors? I pray that we might be a church because we preach the gospel. It's central to us. and We are saved by grace, not by our ability to hide our sin or clean up the outside of our life or live hypocritically, but we are saved by grace alone. I pray that we might be a church that we could walk in these doors and take masks off and live in the light of God's holiness and His truth and His grace in fellowship with one another because His blood not only gives us fellowship with Him, but with one another, with brothers and sisters. Hypocrisy, according to verse 13, can lead even strong believers, in this case Barnabas, astray. Barnabas, who was there at that earlier meeting in Jerusalem, Unity around message, unity around mission, grace of God at work in Jews and Gentiles, one people in Christ, and yet here is Barnabas, a man who's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and yet he's not perfect, perfect in Christ. He still has the potential to be led astray and wander, and that's what we see happen here. See, when it comes to hypocrisy, there are a couple lies that we believe, among others, one is that you and I think we are above this after we've been a Christ follower for an extended period of time. We think, well, I've, I grew up in church. I know all the stories. Or I go to church every single Sunday. Or I serve in this ministry. Or I've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years, 5 years, 30 years, whatever it is. And we think, well, hypocrisy is for those baby Christians. That's what they're susceptible to. If Barnabas can stray, any one of us can stray. And so we need to continue to walk in a posture of humility and repentance and walk in the light with brothers and sisters that we have fellowship with. The second lie about hypocrisy that we believe is that 
You think you're that good of an actor that no one sees it. You think you're holding an Oscar saying, well, see how good I am? My kids don't see this. My spouse doesn't see this. My boss, my employees, my community group, they don't see this. I'm holding the Oscar. I'm that good of an actor that they do not see this duplicity to my life. It will affect others. Hypocrisy is cancerous. It it is contagious. If all you've got around you are fellow hypocrites and actors, it's going to be extremely hard, I would render to say, impossible for you to not stray from the gospel. If you've got no one around you who's spurring you on and speaking the truth and love, who you're walking in the light with, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. We need believers in our lives who love us enough to confront us, who will press into us, and who we've invited into our lives to do just that. When's the last time you said to a fellow believer, listen, when you see something in my life that isn't in line with the truth, would you tell me? Would you bring it up? Maybe I'm blind to it. Would you bring that to my eyes in a loving way? That's what Paul is doing here to Peter. And keep in mind, Paul is not a people pleaser. He said this in Galatians 1.10, For am I now trying to persuade people or God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We need to both be and welcome the Pauls in our lives. People who will not just tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear so that we won't slip into chains. That's the point. So we won't slip into chains so that we will continue to experience the joy and the freedom that it is to know Christ. In God's providence and goodness, He uses Paul to confront Peter and in doing so, guard and affirm the truth of the gospel. News that is of great joy for all the people. Verse 14 But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone. I don't think it's a stretch to say that was an awkward moment. Either pin drops or nowadays it'd be like, oh, like when somebody crosses you over in basketball, some stupid reaction that has become the norm. So probably one of those two. The crowd either did that or silence. But if we're going to remain faithful to the gospel, then we're going to have to be willing to step into awkward spaces and places. We can't be afraid of those. We have to walk by faith in those. And Paul calls it out in front of everyone because Peter's actions and lifestyle are leading up everyone, including Barnabas, astray. He continues, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul is telling Peter, listen, you're a Jew and you can't obey all the laws. You live like a Gentile, so how can you expect or compel Gentiles to live like Jews when you can't, Peter? Paul is saying we've been Jews, we've been Jews since birth. We were brought up in law-keeping homes. But we know, Peter, that not even our best efforts were enough to save us. Peter, we we know the truth of Jesus and His good news. We know the truth of the gospel that we are saved not through works, but through faith 
Our hope is no longer in ourselves. Our hope is completely in Jesus in His birth, life, death, and resurrection. We've believed in Jesus, Peter, but you're not acting in line with that belief. See, Paul has just flattened the whole thing out. He's leveled the playing field. He's reminded both the Jew, the law-keeping Jew, and the Gentile. All is level at the foot of the cross. All have fallen short. So your background, social class, church history, ethnicity, your ability to obey laws, it doesn't put you at an advantage for God's acceptance or mercy or grace because remember, God doesn't play favorites. And remember, we've, we've all fallen short, so we all are in desperate need of God's grace. Justification by faith alone is at the foundation of the gospel truth. Jesus Christ lived and died to provide our righteousness and bear our punishment. It is by putting our faith in Him that His righteousness is given to us and His death is counted as ours. Faith alone unites us to Christ, not works. This is the drum that that Paul keeps beating in Galatians because it's the drum of freedom. Verse 17, But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. What is Paul saying there? Well, he's telling this group, listen, you're trying to obey the law of Moses, but that's not how you're made right with God. You trying to clean up your life on the outside and not dealing with your internal heart, not dealing with the sin disease that you're born with, won't make you right with God. We need to die to that false belief. But by saying, the law is no longer how I'm saved, is Paul then saying that this new freedom of grace, that in a sense that Jesus is saying, woohoo, sin away. Who cares what God thinks now? Jesus died for that. Who cares what Scripture says? Who cares what God's Word says? There's grace. You're forgiven. You can live however you want to live. Is Christ promoting sin? That's what the crowd is thinking. That's why Paul is addressing this, to which Paul says, absolutely not. The KJV says, God forbid. God forbid that would be the case. When we remember the brutality of the cross, let alone the suffering that led up to it, how can we ever think lightly of it? How can we ever think flippantly about our sin and think it's okay to have this ongoing in my life? He wasn't on the cross promoting sin. He was on the cross dying for it so that through faith in Him, we might die to it as well, be united in His death and also united in His life. Verse 18, if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. So Paul is saying, if I go back to this mindset that I can be justified through trying to obey the law, all I do is I look at the law then, I look at all these rules, and I go, I fall woefully short. I can't get out of the Ten Commandments clean. I can't A-plus that test. And even on the days that I think I am nailing it, pride is still lurking and self-righteousness is still lurking. Like a ladder that was trying to reach heaven is the person seeking to earn a right standing with a holy God through good works. And Paul's saying, I've torn down that ladder. I've kicked it out from underneath. I've torn down this legalistic mindset that outward obedience to the law is somehow going to justify you. 
So I've died to the law. I'm done trying to find my justification in my good works. And instead, I'm justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as a result, I'm going to live for God. He's been that good to me. An internal change has occurred in my heart, led to a new heart, a new spirit within me that compels me to no longer live for myself, but live for Him. Obedience is definitely a part of the Christian's life. But our obedience is always in response to the grace that we have been shown and never in an effort to earn His grace. Those are two radically different things. So I'm not going to live under this crushing weight and burden of do I measure up, am I achieving up, achieving enough have i done enough to be accepted instead of the hamster wheel enslavement of that i'm going to live in the freedom of the gospel but i'm not going to use that freedom to serve me or serve my sin or my pride or my self-righteousness or my needs or my notice the trend christian life is never about me myself or i Because, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That doesn't mean Paul ceases to be Paul. It does mean that Paul has been transformed. Old is gone, new has come. That he's a new creation in Christ. It's not a combination of old and new, but rather a conversion. Old died on that cross, was buried in a tomb, and new walked out on the third day. We are united both to his his death and his life. So not only did Christ take on our unrighteousness and died, but he gave us his righteousness so that we could live in him. Death and penalty and condemnation removed and resurrection power given for new life. Not just being in Christ, but Christ being in us. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the, law, through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If a ladder could somehow be built with our effort, then the cross was nothing. Then his death was meaningless. And if, the, and if his death was meaningless, why in the world would he ever charge the church to consistently remember his death through communion? Because it's not meaningless. It's central to our faith. It's central to the gospel. It was for Paul. Twice now in these first couple chapters, Paul has has written these phrases. He said it at the beginning of chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Then in chapter 2, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself. Not just to Paul, not just for Paul, not just for Galatians or for Peter, but you and me. He gave himself to rescue because he loves you and me. Church, we're going to get out of step with the truth. We're going to get out of step with the gospel when we take our eyes off the cross. When we take our eyes off of Jesus who humbled himself, who took the form of a servant, who gave, who loved, who died, and who rose again. So may we 
daily, moment by moment, be in awe that He gave Himself for our sins, not so that we could go live for ourselves, but so that we could know Him and be saved and live the rest of our lives in step with Him, knowing that it's in step with Him leads to freedom, leads to joy, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us who are following us. Father God, we need you this morning. We need you Monday morning. We need you this week. God, we, are, we confess that we are prone to our eyes to kind of turn away at times, to focus on lesser things, to get distracted by either our own flesh or something outside God, I pray that we would fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would watch you and be in step with you, that when we consider the cross and keep it central to our faith, we see that you gave yourself for us. And so we want to respond to your love and your grace and your compassion and your sacrifice. We want to respond with a life that says you have all of us. You have every aspect of our lives. We want to be in step with you. God, give us a a sweet spirit of humility and repentance if we are not in step with you this morning. And encourage us and challenge us to fix our eyes on you. Because in you we see the perfection of God. We see the goodness of God. The image of the invisible God is visible through you, Jesus Christ. And so spur us on as your people. Help the cross to be central to our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray.